Someone asked me a question on my Instagram story and was like, will you ever work with Gordon Ramsay? And I tagged him and went, he's literally an A-list celebrity, one of the big, most famous chefs on the planet. I doubt he's got time to ever meet me. And he, bless him, he messaged me and went, ha, 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 I'd absolutely love to meet you. Oh. And then again, then messaged me again. This time I hadn't tagged him in. I was replying to, you know, the questions on his yeah. story. And it was like one o'clock in the morning. Someone went, do you Gordon Ramsay? And I went, come on, fuck me, go to sleep. Come on. And then he messaged me and went, Fuck me, big boy, go to sleep. Seriously. <laughs> I went, okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Underestimated, the podcast where we unpick and unpack a moment in our lives where we have felt underestimated and ask if ultimately being underestimated has helped or hindered our success. I'm your host, ex-model, current presenter and lifelong feminist, Jess Davis, and I've been underestimated my whole life, but maybe I like it that way. This week, I sat down with voice artist and impressionist Schaefer Bates, where we explore the feeling of being too working class, too Welsh, and the struggle to be taken seriously in your industry, as well as how he became Instagram best friends with Gordon Ramsay. Schaefer Bates, welcome to the Underestimated podcast. We have been chatting about doing a podcast for years now, and I think I've finally beat you to it. Yeah, you have. <laughs> definitely. I'm kind of envious and jealous now. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Usually we have a chat, drunken voice notes, or over the bar in a sweaty nightclub. So it's quite nice to do it yeah. soberly. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> you are a busy man, Schaefer. When was it? Last year now you left Wales moved to the big city just before lockdown. So what's that been like for you? Do you know what? I kind of regret it. Do you? Part of me regrets it. I feel like just the sort of, um, the vicinity of London has completely shifted. It's so quiet here, which I kind of like, but it's not like it was when I lived here five years ago. I think just the whole premise of people working from home, especially with me, I can be anywhere in the world now. So I'm sort of somewhat kind of like, why am I here? <laughs> Like, why am I back in Cardiff? <laughs> what was it that made you want to move to London? Was it the London life? Was it work? Yeah, I just got off of, it was like work opportunities with different production companies to spawn ideas and, and stuff like that. And then everything shut down, all the production companies just stopped. So I was essentially, obviously things are picking up again now, which is great, but essentially I was home writing content for social media, not to knock that, but I, that's all I was doing. And now I have to have lots of things going on. Otherwise my brain's just... <laughs> is that because you're a creative person like how did this all come about if we're stepping back back to the man who does voices how did becoming a voice impressionist artist come about for you when did you realize that you have this incredible slightly weird talent weird yeah <laughs> definitely weird most of the best people are um i it's so bizarre. I always wanted to be an actor growing up. I always I studied it in college and, and, and school, but and it's always what I wanted to be. But I think growing up in this sort of um, environment of masculinity in my family, it was sort of frowned upon by the sort of older generation. Um, and, and so I didn't ever go for it. Never. I was like, right, I'm either going to uh, do boxing or I'm going to be a ski instructor. I know. Weird. <laughs> yeah. And then this thing called YouTube sort of came about and I thought, I was going to do some stupid voices just for no reason. Just it, it was terrible. It looked like it was shot with 
I don't know, like potato. <laughs> it was t- the, the video quality was awful on it. I just went on, oh, whatever, I'll just put it out there. And overnight it hit a million views. And back then, like a million views, but even now is great. But back then it was like a million views. It was like, oh my God, it was like 2013, 2012. And I threw it out there. And then, yeah, within two months, I was just churning out content. And then I went, oh, people like these voices I do. And then I thought, well, this is a foot in the door to start the voice acting career I've always wanted. And then I started getting training for that. And then an agent was like, yo, I want to work with you. And then it just all went from there. I was working in Aldi's as a was you? Yeah. Hey, Aldi pays well, right? Yeah, they pay well. <laughs> they do pay well. They did look after me until, yeah, I went on ITV Wales. That was it. Because they'd seen my video. And then I just was like, I just walked in and was like, goodbye. <laughs> I've made it. And I, I was, I got, I didn't earn a penny for like two or three years. It was, it was madness. But You've got to take those sacrifices, I guess. You've got to leave Aldi when you can, leave the yeah. shelf stocking behind. <laughs> oh, amazing. I mean, what was it like? Because you grew up in Wales. Whereabouts in Wales are you from? Abergavenny. Abergavenny. So was that clusters of valleys? I mean, maybe Welsh people wouldn't. Maybe English people yeah. would. But I mean, it's a smallish town. So to go from recording them voices, I mean, I'm guessing it was in your room back home to then getting a million views. Yeah. Well, I mean, Abergavenny is literally, people back then would say it was a valley town. They call it a farmer town now. I'm not sure <laughs> what that means. But um, yeah, I was, I was re- literally recording voices in my mum's basement. It was a split level bungalow and she converted the garage into a bedroom. So when people go, oh, you, you're doing voices on your own in your mum's basement. I quite literally was that meme and that cliche <laughs> recorded just in my mum's basement recording. And my mum never got it either. So you need to go out and get a proper job. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? I was going to say when you were talking earlier about the kind of masculinity, but also mm-hmm. I think in general society, it's like anything that's creative, it's seen as not a proper job. When you were in school, I mean, I remember being in like careers advising and I was like, I mean, very cocky of me the way I looked when I was 16, but I was like, I want to be a model. And that's that in my careers advice. And they were a bit like, yeah, well, we can't help you with that full stop. And I know that a lot of people who've wanted to go into like the entertainment industry, musical theatre, all of that, when it comes to school and like careers advice, it's kind of, they push you towards a proper job, whatever that is. And there isn't much scope in helping out the creatives. Is that something that you felt when you were at school? Like your career, your future ambitions weren't taken that seriously? Oh yeah, for sure. It was just, um, you're essentially daydreaming if you had any ideas that were creative. It's just, my mother would have been happy for me to run my own construction business. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not the direction I wanted to go in. But yeah, even friends from my uh, hometown now still find it hard if they ever want to sort of break the mold and, and try something new. In the entertainment industry, they feel very like, well, you can't, it's hard. Uh, but I mean, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it though, wouldn't they? So Yeah, that's true. That's true. And also I feel like there's this feeling, especially in Britain, that like work has to be really difficult. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not a proper job because you're not working a manual labor nine to five. You actually get to do something you enjoy. So that must Mm -hmm. not be a real job. And then there's like this anger. I mean, if I just throw around the word influencer, I'm just met with so much hate because people just hate it, you know. But I think it's just that sense of like, how dare you like make money and and not have to work a really horrible job that you hate doing. Yeah. Yeah. How dare you uh, work, do a mundane lifestyle. Some people like working Monday to Friday and there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But it's just, yeah, if you're not, if you don't have a shovel in in hand and you're not breaking your back, then yeah, you, I I don't think people realize the amount of work that goes in, like, 
you, you, you're talking years to build a following mm. to even get in front of brands in the first place. So it, it's hard to really sit that obviously they haven't much understanding of it. It's hard to sort of um, bitch and moan about influencers from that side of the scale because you don't know like how many years of not being paid like to build the following they do. And then, you know, finally get a brand deal and it might be like 350 quid. It's, it's hard work because you've got, you've got to constantly stay uh, relevant as well, which is tough as well. You've got, you've got to always stay relevant because if you're not relevant, well, your brand isn't and you're not getting paid. So when you get, when people say things like get a normal job, what is normal anymore? We've been living in a pandemic for 18 months. That's not, <laughs> nothing's normal. <laughs> I know, isn't it? Yeah. And it is that thing as well. I feel like there's so much anger around, I don't know, like freebies, but I get, you probably get yeah. similar in terms of, I get messaged so many times from like brands or companies that they want to like send me something or invite me somewhere for free. I mean, they're not paying me. They're just hoping that I'm going to upload it for free, take a picture for free. And that's totally fine. But I feel like if I dared approach a brand and be like, hey, fancy sending me like one of your t-shirts. It's like these influencers like need to get yeah. real jobs and stop asking for free shit. It's like, Companies do the same to us, but I just think there isn't that same level of respect when it comes exactly. to creatives that we're also a business and we're also looking for our next kind of collaboration or brand deal mm -hmm. or contract and all of that. Oh, God help you if you ever ask <laughs> to be paid for anything or paid on time. Oh, we want this deliverable with our brand deal. We want this in 24 hours, but we'll pay you in 60 days. <laughs> oh, honestly, I get paid a freelance job every six weeks if I'm lucky. And that's what it's oh. been oh my God, since I was modeling, I mean, at my agency, four or five months down the line and you're chasing, you know, not a lot of people make humongous bucks. You're chasing yeah. 200 quid for a post, you know, 300 quid for a shoot. It's not huge money mm -hmm. when you're chasing. It does add up, but in terms of like, the effort and the kind of like mental toll it takes having to constantly chase invoices for months just to pay yeah. your bills. So I really exactly. think that, yeah, like you're saying, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. It's not just like, hey, here's a cool video of me, like enjoying myself doing voices or here's a cool shot of me or whatever. Yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. But it, it again, going back to, you know, the people who say get a normal job. If we're on the, on the discussion of chasing money, if you're a plumber, you'd expect to get paid for your work straight away and not wait 60 days. So again, it's, it's still difficult for us that we have to sign all these contracts and, uh, and, and agree to get paid three, four months down the line. And these people who are working normal jobs can get paid where they want. So there's swings and roundabouts. Yeah, there really is. I mean, I could go off on a tangent about the whole issue of like mortgages. And I mean, now the mm. government is saying that um, the self-employed grant and all of that, and you can't get a mortgage yeah. now. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. And me yeah. just moaning <laughs> about the government. So back to you, Schaefer. I mean, you have come up with some incredible and dare I say genius sketches impressions i mean they're all amazing but my favorite has to be i think the david attenborough narrates love island love i just island, yeah. loved it so you know where do you come about these ideas how do they come about what is the thought process how long does it take talk me through that well specifically with the david attenborough stuff that takes a while that takes like um You've got to jump on that straight away as well. I missed the bus with it this year because you're supposed to just jump on the first episode. I mean, it's not that exciting this year, but... <laughs> yeah, I've heard this. I've heard this. So, I was, I, I, you know, I just didn't jump on it. But um, usually, yeah, you just, you'll get the footage and you'll sit there for an hour and try and find anything that seems like animalistic behaviour. And then, and then you'll write it and then you've got to match up the timing with the words and the scenes. And 
it should realistically take three or four days, but if you've got a, there's been an episode that's gone, you know, popped off, you've got to get it out straight away. It depends. The whole process depends. I try and jump on things now that are just trending, but the problem with that, there's not always things that are trending that I can jump on or things aren't always trending that uh, you can write comedy sketches about. And then the biggest problem then is, you know, you could go two, three weeks without uploading anything. And then people are in your DMs going, do you even make content anymore? <laughs> it's, it's a strange run. I just, I'm usually just, yeah, off the cuff. If I see something, I'll go, right. Okay. I'll just run with that and go with it. And usually the stuff that you don't care about. So say I was to do a David Attenborough video and spend ages editing it, writing it, and then putting it out, you know, it could do well. It, it, it might not. If I do a video now, I don't know if something just really quick and snappy and just go, oh, I'll just put out there. That'll fill my content for the day. I can like go out to the pub and it's gone viral and it's absolutely trash. I'm like, <laughs> how are people consuming this? So yeah, it's, it's sometimes I, I get a bit miffed with, I like to do quality over quantity, but I find I'm swinging the pendulum the other way now and going back to just quantity because I've realized the internet just love to consume just mm. crap, really. <laughs> uh, if I sit and get a camera crew in and do some rich Gordon Ramsay sketch with multiple camera angles and B-roll, I'll put that out and it won't do well. If I just get my phone out and say five words as Gordon Ramsay and throw it on TikTok, it will get... I don't know, a million views. I'm like, what is this? So the whole creative process is a bit bought for me at the moment. It's just just whenever I feel like it now, yeah. which I'm trying to fix. My neighbours are hilarious. My neighbour, Andy's this Scouse guy. He's got this big beard and he's a strange looking man. But he, when I first moved into the building, he was like, I recognise you. He's like, you're, you're shy for beat. So yeah, nearly. He was like, I'm a big <laughs> fan. But it turns out he's a very talented director and a very good writer. I wrote a podcast with him the other day. We haven't filmed it yet called Love Thy Neighbor. And he's just, he's a genius. And he's really put the sort of fire up my backside and got me, he said, we're going to do a writing day every week. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to write content with you or for you. Because I think after a certain amount of years, uh, you don't want to set up your cameras every day and, and do all your audio and edit all yourself. You just want to go, right, I just want to use my talent and, and then let all the other talented people take care of everything else. So I'm a bit, yeah, the creative process is a bit like this at the moment. Yeah, you need to get the juices flowing again. But I think yeah. that is like a reflection of the world we're in in terms of how massive TikTok is. So like you're saying, it's like 15 second quick shot. And then you've got to put the next one out and the next one out. When it was lockdown 1.0, I was on TikTok. And mm -hmm, I mean, I, I had remember. absolutely nothing to do. So like, yeah, I'll spend my day filming six, seven TikToks. But then reality hit and jobs opened up and I needed to go get money. And then I'm like, I just simply can't keep up with it, you know, because it is yeah. thinking of the content to start with, filming it, editing it, putting it out. That one's gone out. It's on to the next one, on to the next one. So like you're saying, there's this kind of balance at the moment between quality and quantity. And at the moment, mm -hmm. we're consuming so much of it. I mean, I could be on TikTok for literally hours. Yeah. And that's just, you know, hundreds of videos that you're consuming at a time. So how do you keep that balance as a content creator like yourself? I'm glad you asked that question because I'm quite open with it. I'm struggling with it. I, I'd say in the last two years, I've really sort of fallen out of love with doing sort of the impressions and stuff like that. And I don't know why Andy, neighbor Andy, has sort of given me a gist as to why, and I agree with him. But before I go on to that, yeah, I just, I don't know. I've got to a point where I'm like, oh, God, how do I just, how do I churn it out when I've been doing it for so long? Even if I'm doing new voices, new sketches. I'm like, oh God, I've been doing this for six years now. 
I'm like, I still trying to want to come out with a genius idea. And again, like I said earlier on, you, you put it out and you think it's genius. It's not. And then you'll, you know, splash your face with, with water as Gordon Ramsay and people think it's hilarious and it gets loads of views. But um, yeah, I just, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone's trying to figure themselves out, but you're saying it, you know, it turns out it isn't genius. I feel like that's not even the case. Like maybe it's because I've put the stuff out there. Some of my stuff will get like 50 views and I'm like, is this a joke? I thought this is hilarious. And I really do think it's just about like, obviously there's algorithms that come into it, but sometimes it just doesn't catch it. So like you're saying, you put all this effort in and then you're kind of handing the ownership and handing that process over to these social media platforms. And then it's in their hands, what happens to it and whether it catches an audience or not. Yeah. It's that if the distribution's wrong, then yeah, essentially you've, and it, it can put you off though. So you're sort of right in what you're saying. I, essentially you should just go and try and film that style of content again and then the algorithm might just take it mm. one day so you are right there yeah so you know Schaefer like we're talking about quality quantity just a mass consumption really of content so a lot of your videos over the years have gone viral millions and millions of views what was that first video for you? And then how have you continued that? Do you always feel now like, is there a level of views that you want to hit? And then if it doesn't mm. hit that, that's, you know, do you see that as a failure? Do you just move on? Is it on to the next? Because getting millions of views, it must be really difficult to balance up and then one gets like a thousand views. I mean, a thousand yeah. people in sitting in a you know studio in front of you, that's a lot of people. So it's almost like we've lost concept of what, how much, exactly. how much people are, do you know what I mean? So, you know, how do you mentally go through the process of the views? Do you put a lot of like thought into that? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't, if, if something hits a million views it's still fantastic to this day, you love it because what I do is very niche. It's impossible for me to get a million views on every video. If I was going to do a Matthew McConaughey impression video one day, you know, some people might not know who he is. And then I'll do like a, I don't know, Gordon Ramsay one day. And then lots of people know who he is. So it, it's difficult, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't get disheartened when you see a pattern of views going down and down and down. But then on the flip side, I try and be grateful that there's still people, you know, I look at the comments now and just read all the people who are just grateful that you're, you're making content and, oh God, I had a hard day in work today and you really, really made me laugh. I've watched you for years. And it's like, these people are rooting for you. And as you said, you know, it could be like a hundred people saying it, but it's a hundred people all gassing you up. That's incredible. So yeah, I, I mean, it's tough not to look at views and be bummed out if things don't do well. Cause again, you, you, you do get in your own mind and go, well, that's it now. I've had a lot of self-doubt lately of, especially with social media, with TV, I wouldn't mind because I don't need to look at the demogra yeah, demographic course. and the algorithms. I, I'm on a platform, I'm getting filmed and I'm having a good time. But with sort of social media, it's tough because it's, yeah, it's make or break. It's like a, every time I put content out, for me, it's a portfolio. It's a producer going, oh, I've seen that. Let's get him in for a meeting or whatever. So if it doesn't get the views, I'm like, it reflects, I feel it reflects bad on me. And then I get really bad self-doubt and I think, wow, I, I, a couple of times over the last week, uh, last few weeks, I've been like, I think the game's up with me. I need to go in a different route. I, I need to do something else. Debated starting my own social media agency to help smaller creators grow. And then I'm like, but I'm not passionate about that. I'd just be chasing money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you do get a lot of internal wars going, yeah, you're like, 
is that it? That is the game up now. Is that is this is as far as I said it to my mum the other day, who actually, as I said, wasn't a big fan of what I did at first until she started seeing me on TV, bless her. And I said it to her the other day. I said, Mum, I think um I think I'm a bit washed up now. I think um I think it's done for me. And she got really upset. Aww. She was like, she was like, No, my love, don't ever say that. You're not washed up. You've said it yourself. You're just not putting in the effort anymore because you just your passion's a bit all over the place. And she is right. Yeah, you do. You'd get days like that. And I think I'd ask anyone, anyone that question. They'll say the same thing. You get, you get full of self doubt. You get, you get absolutely full of self doubt, and it's just, it's a killer. Yeah, no, I can totally relate in terms of, especially when you're a content creator and you're you're creating content for free. You know, so I'm like, right, I've got to sit down tonight. I'm going to write a blog post, and you sit down, you put the hours into it, you put it out there. Twenty people have read it. You know, you create this video. It takes you ages. You edit it. 50 people watch it. And then you might be applying for agencies, for example, or waiting for someone else to book you on a job. And it always feels as much as you keep trying and trying, your your future is kind of like in the hands of other people. Other people, yeah. So it can, you, you know, that self-doubt can creep in. And especially when you get, you know, not the views in terms of that way, but also like rejected from jobs, show me, rejected from yeah, representation, turned one. down from, from castings, turned down from roles. Have you had to face rejection and how, if so, do you deal with that and go through that process? Because it can be difficult and it can feel really personal. Yeah, and that's probably actually what spurred my self-doubt. I'd, I'd, I'd say five, six years ago when I li- lived in London and I was, uh, God, I'm discalculate, 24, I think, 24, 23. And I was this young, new talent on Channel 4 and blah, 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 blah. And I was meeting all these agents, so many agencies lining up to work with me. And I was just like blinded by everything and thought it was great. And they've thrown all these buzzwords at you. You're amazing. You're young, handsome talent, quirky. And you're like, oh, yes. But now, uh, I, so I, I went solo for like uh, two years. When I came back to Cardiff, I said, I want to manage everything myself. I've got my own expectations. I, I don't, I don't keep getting dragged to London at eight o'clock every morning because it's, it's, I don't have time to film my content. And then, so I got rid of a lot of my, um, I just got rid of my team basically and just went, I'm doing everything on my own. Recently, as work sort of started coming in again, I'm like, right, I need to build my team again. And I was, I need a manager. I need a manager again. And um, yeah, all these agencies who reached out to me years ago, I've tried to reach out to them now and they just don't, they just ignore my emails. They're just like, no, really? no, thank you. It's really like, yeah, it's brutal. And I'm like, wow. But I'll do, I don't know, four or five auditions in a week for my voiceover agency. Shout out Monster Voice, by the way, Enter Talent. All, the, all those ladies are incredible. Love you all. I'll do like four or five auditions in a week. Couldn't get rejected from all of them but feel so high as a kite and feel amazing. Cause I'm like, this is just the, this is the nature of the business. It's, yeah. it, it's cutthroat, but I believe in my abilities with that. And if I get one audition, that's it. You, that's it. And you, you're fine. You're on to things. But yeah, just definitely rejection. Yeah. Rejection. I don't think anyone likes rejection, especially when you, I don't know, when you feel like you deserve more, I guess. And then they, they're like, no. Yeah. And you see other people. I just, I think it turns me, it turns me quite bitter and I don't like that side of me. You know what, I can kind of relate because, you know, you do put that belief in yourself because you have to, because, you know, you're looking out for numero uno and um, then seeing other people turn you down, reject you and seeing other people succeed that perhaps you might think, hey, I can do their job. You know, why haven't you picked me? It can form quite a bit of feeling inside of you and it is quite difficult to like 
try and push that to the bottom and I guess stay positive because I don't know if you um you know believe in all of this stuff around manifestation but I do think in you know if you don't even there's a level of if you're in a neggy like kind of mood you know you're feeling really negative then good stuff isn't going to happen because you're putting them vibes out you know so it is kind of like right you can have a couple of days feeling sorry for yourself and then you've got to just pick yourself up and get going again I think the key is to say and, and I, it's all been my mantra for a few years now and you know sometimes it fails me but instead of saying oh why does this always happen to me I say why why is this happening for me it's happening for me whatever any rejection I get is yeah I don't know the universe steering me into another direction or ushering me a certain way going no there's a reason we've rejected you here Trafe hint hint so yeah I do I, I do as I've got older definitely believe in that especially since I've become so existential as well we've got bloody stones and rocks in my window <laughs> and burning incense I charge them in the sun as well I used to be so I used to write the worst jokes about people who were into astrology and and spiritualism I just used to just make fun of these people and now it's me I'm like oh yeah and now you're the one with the crystals and giving them a rinse under yeah. the moonlight <laughs> I'm open-minded now yeah, well, you know what? I know with you, I feel like it is a good way to be. Again, especially it just gives you something to like cling on to in terms of hope, I think. Do you know what I mean? And, and feel like, you know, you know what? There is a direction for me and there is something that's not in the hands of the agents and the jobs. You know, there's something bigger. And some people obviously will see that more in a religious way. But for me, it's just like this, I guess, just this belief system that things happen for you and if it's not for you then it you know it wasn't for you and then you move on and something else will happen and that has kind of proven me well and you know done well for me over the years I remember when I finished uni I was kind of still modeling but I was broke I couldn't afford to move to London and I moved back to my parents in Abba and my dad used to say to me all the time like you need to go get a proper job darling like this is it now. Oh. And I was working in um, a pub, you know I was working four shifts a week working in a pub and he's like you know you need to go get a proper job and I was like, no, no, if I do that, that'll be me just stuck here now. Like something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. And, you know, I went to work and I didn't just sit at home waiting. You know, I went to my pub job and I worked hard, but I just kept thinking something's going to happen. And then it did, you know, and I got so many different opportunities opened up. And I think it's just important to keep that, you know, self-belief going. Because if you don't have that, it's like, can be a slippery slope. You, you've got to knock opportunities door, really, haven't you? So if you're saying to yourself, look, I'm just going to work hard and, and, and keep going towards my goals and dreams it will happen for you. And it does. If you work hard, there's no substitute for hard work. So if you work hard enough, things do come to you. It's very cliche. You see like multimillionaires saying, work hard and your dreams will come true. But it's true. Again, if I look back at my work five years ago, I was, I was working every day, like three, four pieces of content a day. And obviously it's calmed down a bit now. And I'm like, oh, is, is that a reason why? Blah, 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 blah. But I know I, I totally agree with you there. I totally agree with you. If you as long as you just yeah, as long as you're just working hard and saying to yourself something's going to happen, I think it, yeah, genuinely will, it, it will happen. Definitely. So we've touched on kind of self-doubt and rejection, and that brings me on to your underestimated moment, which you have chosen, which is this kind of underlying feeling that perhaps you're too working class for some clients or even too Welsh for some clients. Can you elaborate on that a bit? I'm not, um, I, I'm very proud of my, I'm from, I was I brought up in a, the, the older generation of my family, my grandfather, my late uncle, my other uncle, my stepfather, all from a traveller, a gypsy traveller background. Contrary to belief, the, the older generation had some very good tradition that was instilled in me. And a lot of it, see how you find, be honest with everyone. 
but not in the in the in the sake you're just going to hold contempt to everyone. Just be honest, speak your mind. And um, I find sometimes the the way I speak is not in in meetings. I I, I can I guess I can come across quite not boisterous. I I don't know, sort of maybe abrasive to them. I'm not sure. I just say I like to get to the point with things and just say it. I, I feel like perhaps that working class side of me is a bit, uh, perhaps I don't uh, sound as articulate to people uh, because I'm Welsh. I'm from a very, I'm very open about my working class background. Uh, will that be dangerous for an agent to look after me because I'm working class? Uh, 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 what's my education? Like I just, every time I'm in a room, every time I open my mouth, I feel like everyone's kind of, and it might just be me, but I always feel like it's sort of, like nails down a chalkboard when I when I speak, or um, the fact of me being Welsh is always these condescending chats of, "Oh, you're from Wales? Oh, that's so cute!" And it, it always happens in meetings, and I'm like, "Is it? Is it? What do you mean cute? What's cute about being from Wales?" And it's kind of like, "Oh, you know, you've come to the big city. I've lived here, you know, off and on for years. I'm like, the, the people here are atrocious. The people in Wales are incredible." I, I do I, very much so. I, I go into meetings always with that over my head. I go, I'm, I'm not articulate enough. Perhaps I'm not intellectual enough. Am, am I, you know, I just feel like I always have that over my head. It's just the way people steer at you. And I study people for a living essentially. And it's just always, right, right, okay, yeah. And then I find myself getting along with the runners and the sound guys who were youngsters, who were, you know, their minds are full of toys and the universe and stuff. And they just want to get out there and do something. And it's just, I, I don't know, every meeting I go to, I always feel every single time that it's kind of, because I have friends who work in the same industry as me who, who will go to like branded meetings who do impressions and they're, I'm not, I won't name him, but he's, he's a very well-spoken gentleman. And um, he has gone in for the same job as me, playing a character that he's openly said to me, he's not very comfortable with playing and he's not good at it. Could be one of my better impressions. He's always got the job. And um He's a very well-spoken individual and that I'm just always like, is it just, am I just too abrasive for the industry? That's why I've sort of decided to, as you said earlier on, um, it's tough when you've got to rely on other people and put your job in their hands. I've sort of done a Ricky Gervais and gone, do you know what? I've got a camera crew. I've got directors and talented writers around me from shows I've worked on in the past. Why don't I just put money together? We make a pilot ourselves and then I go, and everything's on my basis then is my creative direction. I just go to TV channels that I'm in contact with and go, do you like this? Do you like that? They say, no, we, we go again. We do it again and we pitch it somewhere else. Yeah, I very much have that. And it's given me a chip on my shoulder as well. I'll, I'll admit that. I've got quite a bad chip on my shoulder. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's quite interesting considering your whole career is essentially based on your voice that you feel like it could even be your voice that's holding you back. You know, you said that when you yeah. open your mouth, you're going into these meetings and you're you're thinking that that cloud's hanging over you. It's quite ironic to think that that's also what effectively is selling you to these people. It's a good whip, isn't it? Yeah. If this is a, a, vo a voiceover audition, um, in that industry, and especially the acting industry, the Welsh voice is in demand. Well, it's kind of like fetishized, isn't it? Right? The Welsh yeah, yeah, Valley's yeah, voice is yeah. fetishized. I've been told before that, oh, it's a shame that you don't sound that Welsh because people like to book, you know, Welsh sounding people. I'm like, what? For England people to kind of like go, oh, that's cute. You sound like you're from Wales. I'm like, I oh. am from Wales. That's it, you know? So I can see, you know, do you have to elaborate your voice? You know, exaggerate your Welsh voice? Sometimes. Um, I think you kind of do with voiceover anyway, but um, my voice is 
kind of like yours. It sounds, I feel you sound more Welsh than me personally, but I, I mean, I live well, 10 miles Well, we'll leave that Her- up to the listeners. I would say, you're like the valleys, I'm the coast. <laughs> no, I'm from a farmer town, dear. Yeah, my father's English as well, but sometimes I, yeah, when, when I do an audition or whatever and they want a, a Welsh read, they will, they kind of want like an Eddie Butler-esque. I think they expect all men to sound like that, like everyone and say things about Tom Jones and the Manic Street Preachers and stuff like that. But um, yeah, sometimes it get, they ask you to glamorise it, but I, that's just acting. They will do that. As long as they're not asking me to do Richard Burton or Anthony Hopkins, <laughs> I won't go near that. You know, do you feel that classism plays quite a big role in the entertainment industry? Because there's a lot of talk around wanting to have more representation, bring up and develop more working class talent. But when you really look at the pool of, you know, presenters, content creators, influencers out there, there isn't really that many working class people that get to push through and actually be on screen. I, honestly, I think the last working class actor I know that really made it was... Um... Jack O'Connell, who played Cook in Skins. Mm. I think he's the last... And again, one of his major movies was Unbroken with Angelina Jolie because she adored him. She was like, you're amazing. But he's incredibly, like, proper working class. He's a lad from Derby. And you, you see on his, like, resume, he's not in a lot of stuff. And I'm always like, he's an incredible actor. He's r- ridiculously good. Apart from that, I don't actually know that many working class actors who, who burst through the scene. I don't. Saying working class, I think uh, so I, I think a lot of middle class people glamorise it as well. Mm. They'll go, oh, I'm working class, especially around here in London. You get you get um, dare I say it, you get, you'll get a lot of pen pushy mum and dad's money. Yeah, yeah, rah rah. Is that garage? Oh my god, living around East London because they like the gritty lifestyle and they like to tell people they're working class. That's fine if they want to, you know, glamorise it. But it's a struggle for some people growing up working class. Is is it still is for my mum and my father. It's, you know, it's it's nothing to glamorise. It definitely needs to be more representation. You've said it for working class people, 100%. In the music industry, I think there is. Yeah. Because the, the working class people make the best music. Mm. They make the best music. You look at like Lewis Capaldi, Sam Fender, Youngblood. They all make, they're all working class guys and they make brilliant music. But yeah, in the, in the acting the entertainment industry, I think again, if you ever get to Hollywood as a working class person, you have to act a certain way, dress a certain way. You, you see it, you see people's intonation change everything when they end up there. So Yeah, no, absolutely. And do you feel that, I guess, working class people in general are underestimated because there kind of seems to be this feeling of even if, like you're saying, you know, working class people, they do make it good. It's a bit like boy done good. Like, wow, that's such a success story. It's like, why is it such a shock that working class people can be a success, that they can make something out of their lives. It's like already they're underestimated simply because they're class. Yeah, but well, exactly. That's what I mean in regards to my meetings. That's what, what you said there nail, nails it completely on the head. It's just like, I don't know. It's just, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. It, it, it does feel like people look at us like we're all brain dead. It's, it's madness. It's, it's absolute madness. Yeah, I can imagine it's frustrating, but I can imagine that it is frustrating when you're just, you know, just trying to get your foot in the door and you are met with a lot of people with um, 
a rod up their backside who say, sorry, no, you can't come in. You know, it's kind of like the gatekeeping. A lot of the entertainment industry, but yeah, you're right. I guess in music, it is opened up a bit more, but mm-hmm. maybe it's because they do kind of, you know, the likes of shows now, not as big, but, you know, Pop Idol, The X Factor, mm-hmm. glamorized working class people getting a chance. And like, again, that kind of like, boy done good, look at you, like, and maybe that's why it is a bit more accepted in the music industry, but there's definitely a long way to go when it comes to other kind of areas. 100%. So Schaefer, as someone who does voices, spends a lot of your time pretending, acting to be someone else, you know, they say that when it comes to actors, you know, actors enjoy playing someone else because perhaps it's like a form of escapism and they don't actually mm-hmm. have to be within themselves. Can you like relate to that at all? Absolutely. I was watching a uh, podcast with Jim Carrey the other day and he was saying actors, and very much like himself, because I idolise him as well as Robin Williams, but he's, um, he said, um, you know, you see a lot of it, actors and musicians and creatives in general suffer really bad depression, really mm. bad. And, and he said, don't take depression as depression, take it as deep rest, like deep rest. Every time you're depressed, you're deep resting oh. because having a deep rest from the character you're portraying uh, and it's bang on I, I feel like i'd say i'm an ambivert i'm i'm a bit of both but um i do play a character sometimes if i if i get you know the itinerary of the guys the guys going oh we're going out here tonight um this girl's here this girl's here and my friend here and my my girlfriend's here yeah i'll be a character as i come out it'll be different and then i'll come home and i'll just sort of be like really why did i do that it's weird because you're aware of it and you're also not you've just I, I'll always do it. I'll, I'll act as everyone sort of does it, I guess. I, I'll act a certain way based on who I'm, who I'm around. And really do, do people see the side of me where I'm just, most of my closest friends who, who know me, I'm just usually just, I don't sort of do much. I'm just sort of like, sort of mope around in my own thoughts and that's it. But if I'm going out and meeting anyone, it's just all this and uh, yeah, as soon as I get home, it feels, I feel exhausted. Yeah, I was going to say that could be, you know, of course it's mentally draining. Where do you think that stems from? D- does that go back to when you're a teenager? Did you always, you know, in the in the playground, were you the class yeah. clown, stuff like that? Did you always feel like you had to put on a performance? I just think it's the defence mechanism because I always self-ridicule. I've, I, I, I've, I'll always self-doubt, I think, and I'll always... Um, have a problem with myself and imposter syndrome and whatnot. But so I think it's just a defense mechanism to, you know, if I can make somebody else happier by acting a certain way, then so be it. But it's just when you catch yourself doing it, you're like, and then, you know, there'll come a day where I don't, I don't do it. And then, yeah, I'll fall in love probably. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's just strange, it's strange, but you know, it's, I mean, I won't act. It'll never be in a negative way. It'll just be, I'll heighten myself to try and, make myself the life and soul of a party. And I'll always get home and I'm like, God, man, I'm tortured. (laughs) (laughs) I am tortured. (laughs) I think a lot of people, of course, do that. You know, we do act differently around different people. You do kind of try and be louder or more confident. And actually it is that level of when do you realize or when are you really just you? I'm someone that lives on my own. I think you do as well. And I, when I really think of it, I'm like, am I ever like this person around anyone? You know, I think I'm a different person with my parents. I mean, me and my mum are best friends, so I'm totally comfortable, but I'm a different person there than I am at home. And then I'm a different person with this friend than I am with that friend. And yeah, I wonder if, you know, we ever 
our our true self other than when we are with ourselves it's all perspective though isn't it? there's like the perspective of yourself seven billion people have a different perspective of there's different versions of yourself in everyone's mind so it probably is we all probably are just playing characters really aren't we yeah definitely so which one of your characters is your favorite character to play donald trump one was a good one you must have got a lot of that. You must have upset a lot of people, I'm sure, with a Donald Trump one when it was kind yeah, of trending. Yeah, which used, used to confuse me because I'm literally <laughs> playing a character. I'm not Donald Trump. I'm saying things that he would say or I'm over-exaggerating things that he'd say, which he does anyway. He's, the guy was nuts. I mean, he was playing his own character, surely. Yeah, I mean, let's be was. honest. Yeah, I just, I just, I'm literally satire around the character. People used to go, please don't do Donald Trump again. It's triggering <laughs> me. I'm like, well, just don't watch it. I say, I won't breathe next time. Um, it's seasonal though. I'd say at the moment I just milk Gordon Ramsay because Gordon Ramsay's my my social media friend now. Does he follow you? Yeah, he's DM'd oh. me a few times as well. What he does he think me, then? What does he think of your impressions? He said he'd love to meet me, which I was nervous because I was supposed to work with him with the BBC back in June oh. for his show Bank Balance. I was supposed to do like a comedy sketch with him. And then there was all regulation still. And then there was rumors of another lockdown. And then he had to do something else. And I went, mm. I still got paid for it. But I was like, I didn't get the chance to work with him. And I mm. went, mm. I was like, and then self-doubt crept in. And I went, I don't think even Gordon Ramsay likes me. And then he just <gasps> randomly followed me about a month ago and just liked one of my photos. It wasn't anything to do with him. It was just me going in a, in a pair of linen trousers <laughs> going, oh, I felt, felt good. And he just liked my photo. And I thought, oh. You flirty bugger. Anyway, um, <laughs> someone asked me a question on my Instagram story and was like, will you ever work with Gordon Ramsay? And I tagged him and went, you know, he's one of, he's literally an A-list celebrity, one of the big, most famous chefs on the planet. I doubt he's got time to ever meet me. And he, bless him, he messaged me and went, ha ha ha, I'd absolutely love to meet you. Oh. And then again, then messaged me again. This time I hadn't tagged him in. I was replying to, you know, the questions on his yeah. story. And it was like one o'clock in the morning. And, uh, someone went do you Gordon Ramsay and I went come on fuck me go to sleep come on and then he messaged me and went <laughs> he messaged me fuck me big boy go to sleep seriously and I went okay <laughs> I actually went straight to sleep as well I was oh, like all right a good night message went. from Gordon Ramsay but I nearly was going to message him back and go no you go to sleep Gordo. <laughs> but I was just like I just went ah okay <laughs> and I went to sleep but yeah, Gordon Ramsay at the moment, because it's just, people just seem to love that one. But it, it's it's seasonal. They'll, it's whatever, once there's a character that trends or a celebrity, I'll jump on that. If you enjoyed this episode of Underestimated, head on over to patreon.com slash jessdavis, where there's an extended version plus loads of other content. Please rate, review and hit the subscribe button on your podcasting platform of choice to help other people find us. Until then, don't let others underestimate you.